Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Bolino. I'm a psychotherapist, teacher, consultant, and most importantly, a wounded healer, living and working in Chicago, Illinois. On this show, I interview folks in a variety of healing professions, and we discuss the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. We're not just focused on individual healing, but also healing on the collective level from white supremacy, late-stage capitalism, and the patriarchy. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the show. So nice to have you. Thanks for stopping by. The sun is shining outside, which always puts me in even the teensiest bit of a better mood. So I hope that whenever, wherever in time you are listening to this, the sun is shining or there's something out there that makes you feel good. Because you know what? If you like cloudy days, it's good on you, right? Whatever floats your boat. So anyway, (laughs) welcome and thank you for being here. I'm really excited for today's guest because she's a friend of mine, and by the time this comes out, she might even be living in Chicago with me. We'll be hanging out all the time. Woo! All right. So before I get to our guest today, Allison, I wanted to talk a little bit about something I think super cool that I have learned in this embodied social justice course that I'm taking. So Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams is an author and activist and kind of like super badass in the world of social justice and spirituality. She's written, I don't even know how many books she's written. Of course, I can't think of her book off the top of my head right now and didn't write it down, but I'm taking a course that she is sort of the founder of called Embodied Social Justice. And I found it through the Embody Lab. And then they migrated to their own platform. But anyway, check out the Embody Lab because they've got a ton of cool shit on there in terms of like healing and social justice stuff. It's just kind of awesome. So anyway, I'm taking this embodied social justice course. And what inevitably happens in mixed spaces when we are talking about social justice is there is conflict. Dun, 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 dun. And a lot of people don't like conflict. My husband is one of them. He grew up in a family where there was lots of fighting and he had to be the peacemaker. And so whenever conflict happens in life now, he wants to run away, put his head in the sand, just get the F out of there because he is not interested in dealing with conflict. I, on the other hand, (laughs) love a good conflict and will fight you any day of the week. So we all deal with conflict differently. And of course, when you are in a class where there are literally hundreds of people from all different races, genders, ethnicities, cultures, all these things, there is bound to be difference that shows up in conflict or opposition. So there was an integration session that happened where we kind of like slow down and take a pause in between modules to just check in and see what's happening. And it really could not have been timed more perfectly. I think there's a lot of probably wisdom behind the architecture of of this course. And I'm bringing my little notebook out here because Rev Angel said that there's a difference between conflict and opposition. She said that conflict is when we can disagree and your truth does not threaten mine. Opposition, on the other hand, is when your truth does threaten mine. And it's just made me think it's not a surprise. Like, I'm not the first person to tell you that we are a world experiencing a great deal of opposition right now. And I'm taking it inward, right? Because that's part of like whenever conflict arises, I don't want to just be like, well, you're doing it wrong. So you need to change what you're doing and then I'm going to be okay. But what I've been really thinking about is the ways that somebody else's truth threatens mine. And one of the things that's been showing up for me lately is I'm realizing through this course just how embedded I am in ableism and especially when it comes to education. Right. So if I sign up for a course, I'm going to be there raising my hand, saying the things, doing all the homework, right, all that kind of stuff. I really, really benefit from white-centered learning spaces. And I've really often had a hard time tolerating people who don't show up as well in those sorts of spaces. And I'm a fucking educator, so this is a problem that I'm 
that I've always kind of felt a little bit, but now I'm understanding more of what's happening. And I'm thinking about what is it in me that feels so threatened by somebody else's lack of ability to show up in the same way as me in an educational system, right? Or even if I'm the teacher, right, and I have an expectation of students to show up in the way that I would show up, just how ableist that is. And I I don't have an answer yet of what I feel like is threatening my truth. It's probably a control thing and like safety. Who knows? I'm going to take it into therapy. Don't worry. I'm going to do my work around it. But I wanted to offer that definition of conflict versus opposition uh, to share with you so that you all might be able to take that into your own work as well and see how that applies in your life. So thank you for considering that. And please, it is Rev Angel Kyoto Williams who is the one who came up with that. So don't give credit to me. Give credit to her. Before we get to the guests still, I wanted to remind y'all that we have a Patreon and Patreon is a place where you can donate money if you are appreciative of the services that we offer here on this podcast. You can give as little as a dollar a month and truly, 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 it actually is really meaningful to me when people give just a dollar because it tells me it's like a little wink, right? It's like, hey, baby, I see you. And I feel it and I love it and I appreciate it so, 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 so much. I mean, I appreciate more too, but I feel like that's a special little wink. So if you like what I'm putting down and are interested in supporting the podcast financially, uh, I would appreciate it. So go to patreon.com, search for Conversations with a Wounded Healer, and you will find me there. All right, now on to today's guest, Allison Steger. She is the founder of High Wire Therapy, a psychotherapy private practice, and The Matriarchy, a feminist coaching practice. As a licensed clinical social worker certified in perinatal mental health, she works with new, expectant, hopeful, and grieving parents offering support for perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, pregnancy and infant loss, birth trauma, caregiver burnout, infertility, and the general holy shitness of becoming a parent. Fed up with the insufficient and oppressive norms and narratives in our culture of caregiving, she created The Matriarchy to help parents socialized as mothers partner with their radical, rebellious anger to channel it into fierce feminist care. So please enjoy this amazing, wonderful conversation with my dear, dear friend, Allison Steger. Allison, oh my God, I'm so glad you're here! (laughs) I'm so glad to be here. That 10 seconds of silence is so, just so natural from like sitting in the therapy room. Like, I'm not going to say anything. You better come up with something. Dig into those feelings. (laughs) Right? I can wait this out. Right? (laughs) Well, uh, I'm very happy. Very happy you're here. And we get to talk about God even knows what today. And I don't give a shit because I just like spending time with you. So so here we are. So for people who don't know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I am a licensed clinical social worker in Louisiana, pending in Illinois. Um, Yeah, (laughs) she's moving to Chicago. I am. And I am also certified in perinatal mental health through Postpartum International, Postpartum Support International. Better get it right. Yes. And I have uh, a solo private practice here in New Orleans called High Wire Therapy. And I specialize in, surprise, surprise, working in perinatal mental health. So, That covers postpartum mood and anxiety disorders, infertility, pregnancy and infant loss, birth trauma, adjustment to parenting, infertility, the whole shebang. And then I am also in birthing (laughs) in the nascent stages of building a coaching business. My business is called The Matriarchy. And it focuses on helping people who identify as mothers or who have been socialized as mothers in cultivating and befriending their rage and anger and turning it into fierce feminist care. Fierce feminist care. It's hard to say, but (laughs) it's so important. So I can't wait to dig into that. But first, I really love therapist origin stories. So Mm -hmm. I'm really curious how you became an LCSW. Why? What? Tell us everything from birth forward. (laughs) You know, it's funny because like I was 
thinking about that. And I could tell you like, okay, well, you know, on this date I did this and, you know, I took my training from postpartum support international and, or, you know, whatever, but I don't care about that shit. I care about the real shit. Like when I was thinking about this, it's like, I don't know. Have you ever heard that term? It's spiral linear. It's like about time. I don't remember where I heard it, but I think it's like the way like other cultures view time. I like it. Where you're moving forward. Uh, you're still moving forward, but you're also like, there's lots of cycles and you kind of cycle back and, you know, things die and then are reborn. <laughs> and that's all part of it too. Spiral linear. I'm going to Google that. And that is kind of how I feel about how I ended up here, where, you know, I have this path where I just sort of followed what felt right and found my way into the niche that I wanted. But as I go forward in doing it, I spiral back to so much in my life that it almost feels like I was made for this in some way. Yeah. And then, you know, hopefully spiraling forward since I am a mother myself and like bringing some of this forward to my own child. Mm -hmm. So that's like the woo-woo answer, right? But um, you know, more practically, I was working, I'd been working with kids for a long time. Lots of like trauma, kids in the foster care system. And then mm. a few years after I had my own child, I realized I was really getting more interested in the caregivers that came in with them and their stories. It was usually a mother, often a mother who had been separated from the kids and just sort of like, damn, you know, if <laughs> this person had maybe had the right supports in place, like maybe this wouldn't be happening and you know that trauma would have been avoided. So when I branched off to do my own practice, I was like, maybe I'll get some more training in this and then did and then basically haven't looked back, just sort of mm -hmm. funneled my incoming clients into that niche. Yeah. And I've been shifting my practice into helping therapists and you shifting into this place of helping the caregiver, the mother, the matriarch. That's how I try to feel like I'm making a difference in the world because it's not just that one person in front of me, but right. If we are helping people who help people, then that's like, fucking meta. Yes, right. It, it is. When I was trying to decide like what to do, because, you know, I felt connected to working with the kids too. I was like, well, you know, then I get them when they're young and maybe can make an impact there. But then I was like, but, you know, if I work with the parents or, you know, work with an adult who is going to become a parent, like maybe that is more productive <laughs> going forward. And mm -hmm. so I don't know. I kind of just, I like to root in the idea of also not my idea, something I heard somewhere, but like, that the healing we're doing now is like healing the generations before and the generations yet to come. Yeah. So hopefully bringing that for my clients, but also doing that for myself very much. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I think Shauna Marie Brown said that on when I interviewed her on my podcast mm -hmm. too, like we were talking mm -hmm. about that forward and backward healing of generations. And that makes me think, let's tell people all about how we know each other because there's going to be so much of that sprinkled into the conversation uh -huh. just to give people context. So do you want to share our first encounter together? Okay. <laughs> yes. So we met as part of a, what was just called like a small group? Yeah, just like a breakout small group. Small group and breakout group in um, a larger training decolonizing therapy for Black folk by Shauna Murray Brown is the person who facilitates that. And it's fucking amazing. And literally everyone it in is. the world should do it. It was like transformational. Everybody should do it. Yes. Anybody in helping or healing profession doesn't even have to be therapy. Run and get thee to this training. Yeah. Especially yeah, like if you're a white person, I would say. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, so we were in a little group. And then... We said our goodbyes and finished up. And then we found ourselves also part of an eight-person mastermind group, a coaching group. Yep. And, you know, what are the chances? <laughs> we just landed in there together. Yeah. I think, like, the statistical likelihood of that happening is so fucking slim. And so as soon as I saw you were going to be in Annie Schuessler's group, who was also a guest on the podcast, and as soon as I saw you in there, I'm like, we're going to do something together. And I don't know what it is, but like, clearly we are supposed to have the same knowledge. We're supposed to have this connection. And I still don't even know what it is, but I just love that we're connected and I love supporting you. And 
everything you're doing. And yeah, yeah, you're a fucking badass bitch. <laughs> Thanks. Maybe we'll just hang out and like ride the blue line together or be neighbors or something when I move. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's good enough for me. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just get on the train and just ride. That's it. Just up and down from O'Hare Forest Park. <laughs> so let's talk about fierce feminist care, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Tell me all yes. about that. Well, okay. So as somebody who is a mother, but also holds like other care identities, you know, I'm the eldest daughter in my family and I'm a therapist. I worked in community mental health. I've been a teacher, teaching assistant. I worked in that capacity. I, and I think this is where some of our work crosses over with your work working with healers and therapists is I'm sick to death of just the narrative around what it means to be a, you know, quote unquote, good caregiver where you're supposed to, you know, there's so much like false reverence around like, oh, this is just the most important job and you guys are amazing. But there's like crumbs to back you up. But then there's such a sense of guilt around backing off of any of that. Yes. And you're doing something different because then the narrative is like, well, then I guess you're just not cut out for this or like you're not committed to this work. (laughs) You know, you're not a good mother. Yeah. So I think that care and caregiving is super important, obviously, and like not just caring for our children, not just self-care, you know, but also like building community, community care, like building a new culture that is hopefully more justice oriented, care for the earth, you know, care. I mean, there is like all sorts of ways that that can go. Yeah. But it needs a little bit of a revamp, I think, so that it is coming from a place that is kind of pushing back on those more oppressive messages, which clearly come from white supremacy, the patriarchy, capitalism, etc. And is more kind of rooted in what each individual wants to be doing feels they are kind of called to do figuring like even the act of like allowing yourself as a mother to think about what that might be and that there could be like a purpose for you outside of mothering is different Mm -hmm. so i have like six principles of feminist caregiving that i came up with the first one is it requires fucking consent you know so let's not just make i'm gonna just talk about motherhood here you know Make the mother, the birthing parent be the default caregiver just because. And it also requires conservation of resources. <laughs> so not burning yourself out as an act of like glory and value and virtue. Mm-hmm. And this is why it's important that it's not just about the individual because, you know, we could do all this shit on our own. <laughs> but if we're thrown into this larger context where it's still like every man for himself, then... What's that going to do? Mm-hmm. Let's see. What are the other ones I came up with? Oh, storytelling. So being able to talk about what it is to be a mother or to be a birthing parent and like all those parts and like it not have to be this like, and then I healed and it's better. And like, I, I stopped the chain of intergenerational trauma. Like, no, you know, a lot of people are just still actively mm-hmm. struggling with shit, even as they are parenting and doing a damn good job parenting. One doesn't always have to do with the other. And regeneration, I think, was one of them. So being able to sort of rebuild yourself and turn into something different, but it's not like this completely, you know, Mm -hmm. brand new you. (laughs) I see a lot of mothers kind of struggling with that was then and this is now and like never shall the two meet. So bringing those together and expansion or expansiveness, I think, was the other one. You can tell these are not like (laughs) the things that I bring forward, but just like the general principles here. Yeah. So yeah, just letting yourself be all like take up space, make room, give yourself the physical, literal or figurative space to find your way as a parent because we do a shitty fucking job of that in our culture. Like mm-hmm. it's just like, okay, you had the baby, bye. Everybody brings a casserole and then you're on your own and right. back to work and you better not act like you had a baby or need anything different right now. Mm-hmm. And in all that you're saying, what I hear is intentionality, cooperation, and subjectification as an opposition to objectification. I mean, that's really what I hear. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, something is changing in my brain where I have a different, I feel like I have access to a, a different type of knowledge that doesn't always have words. So sometimes I'm like, 
I feel this concept, I can taste this concept, and yet it's really hard to speak about. So I think to kind of go like really big with it, we've been in a patriarchal way of being for a really long time now. And our original human ancestors were very much collective and probably a more matriarchal sort of society, right? And we've been in a patriarchal system. We know the divine feminine is fucking rising up like a phoenix right now. And I think that in this point in history, we have an opportunity to not throw away the patriarchal because we need both feminine and masculine energies, right? Mm -hmm. And I say that not from like a gender, but an energetic quality. And what I hear you talking about, so when I said the word cooperation, I think that's what I mean is this like blending of, not throwing out, you know, we're not feminists who are like, fuck the patriarchy and everything about it is bad. It's like, why can't we actually marry these concepts? Why can't we hold a way more nuanced view of being a mother, being a father? I love the term birthing parent. I'm guessing that's probably like the gender neutral way to talk about, which see, I fucking love learning these new terms all the time. I'm really excited about being in this time in history where we're recreating something that has never existed before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, like using those more patriarchal or like masculine qualities, not in a power differential kind of way and not in a gendered way, as you said, there's a woman named C.B. Harkwell who talks a lot about like feminine versus feminist qualities and why are we saying one is like has to be assigned to like a certain gender like Mm -hmm. being able to be confident and have agency like which is a masculine quality like we should embody that as well and bring that into you know your parenting. (laughs) Well it's receptive versus active right so if we could take the gender like if we go to the yin yang concept right like It's just that we've decided that masculine is active and feminine is receptive and passive, but that doesn't mean anything. Right. Just because we've decided that females are women, right? Like that's, so yes, let's transcend the language and just be with the energy. Yeah. And I think this is something that I really try to work with my clients on a lot. And I would say most of my clients probably see themselves as like feminist and progressive. um, And yet Mm -hmm. they still find themselves just being run into the ground by their to-do list, never wanting to delegate, like afraid that that's going to devalue them as mothers. Mm -hmm. And so really like getting them to put that back onto those systems of oppression versus seeing it as a flaw of themselves. Like, these are the things, of course, you feel like that. These are the things that you've been right. you know, ingrained with and that you've been told are the right way to be. And it can feel very hard to embody being different, even if you intellectually know that it should be different or would feel better if it was different. Right. So really, like a lot of work there, too, is examining like, okay, so what are these features of void supremacy, like perfectionism and objectivity and obviously like tons of gender stuff in there. And Mm -hmm. I like to throw in a lot of diet culture stuff too, which I know is sort of like a subset of a lot of these other larger ones, but like it seems really prevalent in motherhood too. Like there's Mm. get your body back and like, you know, even the idea of like what the mother is that this, you know, earthy white woman on Instagram, you know, with like long hair. Right. You know? So right. we're really, I work with them to sort of like examine that. And it feels there's a lot of relief and a lot of space there when they can, you know, be like, that's the villain, which I call it the mommy complex. That's the villain, not me. Like I'm not a shitty mother. Right. I just exist in this like shitty idea of a mother. <laughs> and just like in therapy, We are helping our clients see ways that their parents failed them because it's it's all it's perpetual generational trauma, right? We are not saying, okay, now blame your parents for everything, but we want a client to instead of just blaming themselves for everything, we want them to put responsibility where it is due and have the agency to do something to transform that, right? And so that's exactly what I hear you saying as well is. Again, it's not like this, like, well, fuck the patriarchy. Okay, it's all got to go. Like, yes, it has to go. And yet we have to know how to participate Mm -hmm. in it so that we can 
do something about it and not just blame mm-hmm. ourselves. Yes, we have to know the correct way to betray our privileges and betray those things. So, ooh, I love it that ooh, say that again. This is the phrase I heard from a person named Alan Peleas. Believe that is how it is pronounced. How their name is pronounced. It was just part of a sentence that they said on another podcast of like talking about white people needing to betray their privileges. And that word is so powerful. Yeah. <laughs> that just like, peace, fuck you. Like, I'm out of here. This isn't working for me. Right. And I think because a lot of my clients probably are more privileged and have, mm-hmm. you know, fewer marginalized identities, that is something we work on too, is, you know, because they want to betray them but they also feel like what does that look like is that safe Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah (laughs) so i love that you are infusing that in the work you do and are there some like creative things that you've helped clients come up with in terms of betraying betraying their privilege i just love this concept yeah i mean i think it's very incremental work and sort of just like putting the idea out there. But I think what's most accessible is probably around patriarchal stuff and the gender stuff. And like, I would say most, many of my clients, you know, are just like, I'm having burnout. I'm doing everything. And I feel like shit all the time. And, but I can't back off of any of this because, you know, if they have a male partner, he won't do it right or something Mm -hmm. like that. And Mm -hmm. so, that's a nice starting point. A lot of the times is, you know, understanding that like, yeah, maybe you will be doing less of the domestic work or you will maybe have to sort of step back from managing every single thing if possible. Mm -hmm. But that is actually like ultimately helpful because you will feel better. Right. (laughs) But then also like, it helps your partner sort of step into more of this hands-on or nurturing Mm -hmm. role. Mm Mm-hmm. And nowadays, more men and dads are open to that, but maybe don't always understand the complexities of it, of how to like take ownership of an entire task. Yes. <laughs> Instead of like seeing it all the way through to the end. Um, <laughs> I have a knowing eye roll over here. <laughs> Rich, I love you, but baby, some things. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then also like betraying perfectionism too. Yeah. You know, that's a huge one of kind of coming to accepting the idea around like you are going to miss things in raising your child. By that I mean, it is not possible for you to meet every singular need that your child is ever going to have for the duration of their life. Mm -hmm. And you have to get comfortable with that and not let that sideline you or distract you from actually being sort of in your brilliance as a parent, whatever that is, you know? So many people come to me like, oh, I thought I had like a great childhood and then like I'm having my own baby and like all this shit is coming up that I need to examine. And yeah, and so that's also what I mean by sort of like healing these past generations. Like, can you see your mm-hmm. parents, grandparents as human beings, you know, and it might not be your journey that you have to forgive them and heal with them, but like mm-hmm. also understanding maybe they weren't setting out to like fuck you up. Right. And you're not doing that with your kids either. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm really curious how all this has shown up in your own life because you're a mother and you're married to a man, right? I am. (laughs) So what does this all look like in your day-to-day practice? What inspired me to move into this in my therapeutic work, but then also build this coaching business around like channeling this anger into something bigger and more useful is that when I had my daughter and I definitely had postpartum rage, which is one of those, Mm. I don't know, I would say maybe like the most stigmatized of like the postpartum issues currently just because it flies in the face of, you know, if you're a mother, you're supposed to be gentle and quiet and soothing and caring. And to be angry is just like, oh, you're going to fuck up your kid. And like, that's, you know, you'd be abusive to them or something. Mm -hmm. So postpartum rage is gaining more traction now. And I remember the feeling of relief I had when I first heard that term. Um, Yeah. Because it wasn't me like, you know, screaming in my kid's face and like doing anything like that. But just this visceral reaction of like my skin crawling and just feeling trapped and like helpless and so overwhelmed, just completely dysregulated. And 
then to manage that, it would be like, okay, I got to swing over to like feeling really numb and like checked out and, you know, I'm not good at this. And so I need to just go and be in my shame spiral somewhere else. And so that was just sort of how I lived for the first couple of years of her life and always feeling like I just want to like do more. I want to like go deeper in my career and I want to do like all these other things, but I just feel so stuck. I'm so tired. I'm, you know, running the household. And Mm. my partner also traveled quite a bit still does, but would be gone for weeks at a time. And so it was like, Mm. all right, you know, I got to show like how good of a mom I am by like doing all these things. And of course it just like ended up with just like misery. Yeah. And so the first time I had a therapist kind of name that for me and connect it to just like, Hey, you've actually like, as we explored, like you've actually always had trouble regulating (laughs) yourself. And maybe that is some of the attachment wound stuff I had, although I would say I was very securely attached and had loving, wonderful, supportive parents as well. But Mm -hmm. I've always had really big emotions. I know that I was a very colicky crybaby kid. Same, same. (laughs) And, you know, I remember raging around in my room when I was younger too. And just sort of everyone was like, okay, like let her, you know, like they're not being taught how to soothe. Right. Because they just didn't know because they're human beings, right? So I think bringing that forward and being able to help make space for other birthing parents, even if it was just this hour a week in the therapy room, to just let them be how they were and let them say all the awful things that you're not supposed to ever say and right. you know, normalize that that just having a healthy baby or whatever is not always enough <laughs> for people. And also to help them because I feel like most people that I work with do have this anger and it's not necessarily like this postpartum rage or like anger management issues, but there's a sense of "Mm, this isn't enough. Something's wrong, but something's being stifled. Something is like burning inside of me and it can't come out Mm -hmm. and just feeling really agitated, irritable, sort of like apathetic sometimes. But because anger is often weaponized against women and weaponized against mothers in particular, mm-hmm. there's such hesitation to name it as that. And so I would really like to normalize it and help people understand that it is serving its purpose and it can like kind of ride shotgun with you. And it's actually maybe here to sort of save you <laughs> in some ways mm-hmm. and help you identify what is actually meaningful for you in your life. What is that burning that's happening. That's what is hurting right now. And so find those things that hurt and listen to them and bring them forward and use that to inform the kind of care that you give, whether that is what you want to model and teach your children, how you care for yourself and attend to what you need. And also like what you want to bring forth into the world. What do you want to work for? What are you here for? And that can look like work or career. It can look like working for some sort of cause or issue. It can look like, I really want to get into like making art and pottery or something like, fine. But broadening that sense of identity outside of just like, I am here to mother. And then that actually helps (laughs) you feel more like, oh, I'm more connected in my parenting because I've shut out a lot of the noise and distraction. And it's a big fuck you to all those systems of oppression, right? Like that you are, you know, out of the hamster wheel, out of the distraction, in your anger in an embodied and safe way. And you're here to like fight back, whatever that might look like. Yeah. Yeah. I often think about, I mean, I I feel like right now, for whatever reason, the world feels like it's moving so quickly. And there's just not enough time to do everything. And I think about the women who fought for women's rights in the 60s and the 70s, and then the mothers in the 80s who were told they could have it all. They could have the career and have the children. And how that has perpetuated forward, because I think the concept was you can do all of it and you can do all of it really well. And now that there is like so fucking much happening, you literally can't do it all well. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And so being able to at least what I'm hearing you say is inviting 
mothers to reconnect with themselves mm-hmm. and know what is important within them. And then from there, yeah. maybe you do spend 90% of your time parenting because really what you wanted to do was be a mother, but you also connect with your partner. I I, I don't know exactly what I'm saying, but I'm just, yeah, this concept of like, you can't do it all. It's going to be imperfect. It's not going to feel good all the time. And yeah, I'll stop there. I think it's important to question what having it all means. And I recently wrote a newsletter about this. Oh, did you now? Oh, please bring us your wisdom. Well, because I just wonder if sometimes like, okay, so first of all, who is having it all directed at? It's directed at more privileged women who can usually maybe afford or have some childcare options. (laughs) So that's one thing. But also is the all that you're striving for just more of these patriarchal values and more capitalism, like go work and like earn money and, you know, just be part of this whole big machine here. And yes, it is important to have a life that feels round, you know, and full and not like balance, you know, we're never going to be in this perfect balance of everything is, you know, like Mm -hmm. that might be for a second, but kind of follows your energies and your rhythms and what feels right to you at that time. And you can let go of things that don't. (laughs) So really like just the act of what is your all like and really exploring that is something sometimes that people have never really stopped to think about that mothers have not stopped to think about women have not. Yeah. Even the question of whether or not to become a mother, I know for myself, that was a topic of therapy for at least seven years. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was injected into me that I was supposed to have children. It took seven years to sort it out that no, I actually don't want to have children. And the grieving process of who am I if I'm not going to be a mother, something I thought my whole life I was going to do? Does that make me a bad person? Am I selfish? Like, it's so complicated, this choice to have children. And yet, I don't know how many people actually consciously think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that word grief is interesting because, I mean, that's something that we don't we don't associate always with motherhood. It's supposed to be like this. Mm-hmm. Literally, it's birth, not death, you know, and like it's right. supposed to be joyful. And But it is death. It's death it of is. you as a non-parenting person. Yes. And yeah. so in the work that I do and groups that I run and things like we have a whole space there of grieving, like let's create a grieving ritual around whatever they need around what you feel like you need to say goodbye to or what what is no more and also just normalizing that too like not things are not always supposed to be here forever yeah and can you save from the ashes you know some things like the essence of yourself or, or you know some parts that you carry forward and weave into your life although they may look different and mm-hmm. yeah like just to have that sort of like ritual around it the same way we would have, you know, a funeral or a memorial for somebody like Mm -hmm. it helps you process. It helps you make meaning of it. It helps you feel safer. Mm -hmm. Right. And honor. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that's honoring. And I'm just feeling into the, it feels more like indigenous in the ways that humans like not indigenous as a race or whatever, but indigenous as human beings and to what we really, what we really need. And ritual is something that ritual is important. And we've gotten away from that as a culture of Mm -hmm. honoring that ritual is important, honoring ritual period, and just honoring cycles, all of it. Mm -hmm. I just love everything you're saying. And it's hard for me to put words together around it, but I love it. (laughs) Well, thanks. Yeah. I think in the therapy group that I run, one of the sessions is actually called Honor. And it is, you know, honoring your intuition and honoring your story. You know, we work to write like a narrative and just those acts, even however small, like it does shift something. Mm. And it's sort of like, I'm allowed to be here in all of my parts. And Mm -hmm. I think it's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I should probably ask the healer questions before the end of the hour. So do you consider yourself a healer? 
Oh, what a great question. I had no idea. You're going to ask Oh my God, I never thought about it. (laughs) Yeah. So let's see, we've known each other for like a year, right? Like I've been, so I've been Mm -hmm. listening to your podcast like approximately that long. And I remember feeling really like, fuck that. Like I am not a heel. Gross. You know, but then the more I settled into it, what I was really rejecting was the paternalistic, you know, like, yeah, I am the healer and I know better and I'm up here and you're down here. And then I was, yeah, of course, I mean, you know, coming from this white view as a white person, I'm sure in other places, a healer is not automatically associated with some dude in a robe standing above you or something. Right. So yes, yes, I do feel that I am a healer and I feel that I am a steward of healing, like a conduit, a channel, someone to like hold things back and let that happen for the person or maybe be like, how about we try that? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Here, I'm holding back these demons. And how about you uh, try using that uh, demon killer you're holding right there? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think of like opening doors for people, right? And then the client has the choice of whether they want to walk through the door or not. Yeah. And what actions they want to take when they're on the other side of that. So it's like, I might be leading you down a series of hallways and there are a bunch of doors and here, let's open them all and let's see which one you want to choose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Choose your own adventure therapy. Yeah. And it's helpful. I think this is important in the population that I work with too, of like just understanding that doing healing work doesn't mean you're sick or broken in some way. Um, Mm -hmm. So I work with postpartum mood and anxiety disorders or like adjustment disorders. And, you know, I'm sure you can guess how I feel about that word disorder, (laughs) you know, that like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there are definitely people who I see who are having mental health crises and need therapy and medication and like all of those interventions. But there's a wide swatch of people who are just actually having a very normal reaction (laughs) to this transformation in their life and also the container Mm -hmm. in which they land while they're doing it, the environment and their anxiety and overproductivity and all this stuff is actually very adaptive. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, we talk a lot about there's, you know, just that there is nothing that is wrong, but you deserve to feel better. <laughs> right. You deserve to enjoy this time in your life. Right. Like there's nothing wrong with you. Like you as a parent, there's something wrong. That's not you. Well, and that's just making me think about disorder in general. And like the idea of health being that we're all physically able and we're totally disease free and injury free and all these things like, Is there anybody out there that literally is like free of all this stuff? And so using the term disorder, disordered or diseased, it doesn't make sense because we're trying to restore some level of health that we, our bodies may not actually. Might not have ever been there. Right. Yeah. I didn't think about that before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Blowing my own mind today too. Look at me. It's just, it's so interesting. And I think of trauma as being a normal response to an abnormal situation. Right, right. And so, and I think everybody has trauma. I was listening to a podcast and they're like, not everybody has trauma. And I'm like, well, your definition of trauma is wrong then because I think everybody does. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And if we didn't before 2020, we do now. Right. Yeah, there's literally no excuse. Yeah, at this point, yes, you've all been traumatized. So welcome to the club. So on along those lines, do you consider yourself a wounded healer? Yes. I mean, even what you were just saying about we're trying to restore back to this baseline of normal that might not have ever been there or like as defined by somebody else. And, right. you know, I definitely still feel like I am actively working on a lot of things and actively healing, particularly around motherhood and how I'm mm-hmm. supposed to do this. Right. But you know, and obviously there were things there before I became a mother. So yeah. And I don't know, I think the wounds are like where we catch on to each other, you know, like there's like jagged edges and bumps and stuff like that. It's like, we were all smooth. We just 
slide on by. <laughs> yeah, I like that analogy. <laughs> Just like slipping off of each other with nothing to hold on to. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But instead, our fucked upness brings us together. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Yay, fucked up! <laughs> oh my God, how should we use our last few moments together? What mm. else do you want to talk about? Well, um, yeah, I guess I want to talk a little bit more about my coaching venture that you've been yeah. on this ride with me. I have. Bring it. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, like I said, it's, it's new. I've just been doing a lot of groundwork in the last year and kind of testing out some things in terms of actually like working with people. But as I said, it is focused on, you know, really helping mothers step into that anger like unabashedly and not be afraid of it and know that it's not harmful necessarily and using it to give the kind of care that is ethical and aligned with who they are and feels purposeful and meaningful. And so I am able to see people one-on-one now. And I'm going to be doing a group at some point called Rage Against the Mom Sheen. Like what you're really good at marketing. <laughs> oh, thanks. Everyone follow We Are the Matriarchy. That's the Instagram. Yes. My Instagram is We Are the Matriarchy. And my website is welcome to the matriarchy.com. Let's get those confused. I'm just trying to feel out sort of like when I have people who are ready for it. Yeah. But I'm really excited about it because we have also talked a lot about the limitations of therapy and how there are a lot of people leaving the therapy profession. And I'm not doing that. I still really like that part of my life. But Mm -hmm. I don't want to be doing just that. You know, I wanted to create something that allows me to use a lot more parts of me and be creative and just sort of come to people in a different way. Mm -hmm. And that's just been very exciting. And eventually, I want to expand it into also like some business coaching myself, Mm -hmm. finding those things that you're angry about as a mother and also like using that to build small helping healing businesses like private practices or coaching businesses. Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty clear from the last two years that traditional work just isn't working for a lot of people um, and is keeping a lot of mothers very disenfranchised. And so if we can sort of create something that's your own, I think that's really cool. Yeah. I've already like mentored a few people around private practice building. I love talking about it and everything. And so it was a natural extension. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I have a feeling that 10 years, maybe even five years from now, our profession is going to look so different. So different. Yeah. Everything has changed. And I don't know that everyone realizes just how much things have changed. And I feel like I'm in tune enough with a lot of different people in different places. And I keep seeing therapists shifting out of this one-on-one because people are just, we're so tired and Mm -hmm. we need other ways to be able to, as you said, regenerate for ourselves and still care for people. And I I don't know. I wonder if groups are going to become more popular. What I don't know what. I can't figure it out, but it'll be different. So hold on to your horses, people. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, I think for as many therapists who are exploring other things, there's also a huge group that are like, you know, yeah. just doubling down and like, oh, coaches are the worst thing and they're like going to kill our profession mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. And like, well, maybe you should ask questions about why people are doing this. Yeah. I'm all for therapy, but like healing does not have to be just go to therapy and take your medic. You know, there are lots of other ways. And so like, let's open up a little bit. Yeah. And I will continue to ask the question about like all of the regulations that go with licensure, because I recognize that gatekeeping needs to happen to keep clients safe. And yet gatekeeping is also preventing those of us who are good people who wouldn't harm others from doing some of the stuff we want to do. So I just, I really don't know what the answer is there. Yeah. I mean, when we had the hurricane here in September, August, September, people scattered. And is it like, okay, because I'm not supposed to see people when they're outside of the state lines. Right. So I'm just supposed to not see my clients when they're just like lost their homes. and like. <laughs> Right. In the middle of a crisis. Yeah. Being a little bit 
more thoughtful about what is actually harmful and not. And also like trusting us a little bit more. You know, anywhere you go, there's going to be people who are going to take advantage of things and act unethically. But the majority of us, I truly believe, are within our integrity and know how to make informed decisions (laughs) and like weigh risk and benefit and give us a little bit of slack here. Right, because that's a very patriarchal way to hold the power and not trust our individual circumstances. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm. Well, I mean, we could talk about all this shit for days, but we do have to wrap up. Any final words of matriarchal wisdom that you want to share with our peeps? I would just tell people to trust their anger that it is wise. It's part of your intuition. It is a value neutral emotion. Mm -hmm. It is no better or worse than joy. (laughs) And I think that if we were all a little more tuned into our anger, a lot more shit would be changing. Mm -hmm. And you're an Aries, right? Yeah. Do you know your Enneagram? I don't. I'm not, you know, I've sort of like learned a little bit. There's not one. I don't feel like it really. I'm hearing a lot of eight. I'm hearing a lot of eight today. What is that? I don't remember what the term is, but eight, nine, and one anger is like the primary emotion for those numbers. And I'm just, I'm hearing a lot of eight energy because I always think of the eight as like a social justice warrior type person. And usually I don't get along with eights because they're probably not healthy. But the way that you talk about the relationship with anger Because, of course, like anger can be bad if it's used inappropriately. Mm -hmm. But the way that you're talking about it is not that. It's so nuanced and it's so, yeah, it's reclaiming. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And most people that I'm working with are not directing their anger harmfully at other people or anything. They're more directing it towards themselves and causing that harm towards themselves. Exactly. So, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I am an eight. I don't know. Let's look it up later. Big eight energy. But I am, yeah, I'm a Virgo rising and a Gemini moon and an Aries sun. Well, fire and earth. Mm-hmm. Well, I love you. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you were here. Happy you had me. And I'm so glad you're moving I here. Know. We are going to hang the fuck out. I know. We're just going to ride the blue line up and down. That's what we're going to do. I'm going to have to have like a vulnerability moment where I like, you know, contact everybody. I still know. And she's like, can you guys please like call me if you're going out so we can have yeah. friends? <laughs> I don't do anything ever. That's fine. We can come hang out at my house. <laughs> yes, that's what I want to do. That's all. I'm. I just. I don't want to be around other people. I just the people I like. <laughs> oh man! I, yeah, the pandemic has ruined my social life. But anyway, re, yeah, reentry is hard. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. You're amazing, and I just I love supporting you and being your friend mm. and all of it. I know. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Allison, for being our wonderful guest today. I love you. Can't wait till you move to Chicago. Thanks, as always, to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for our album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. To find more about Allison, you can go to our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. Till next time, bye-bye.